amazing. I'm just, you know, we're in 21 days of prayer, and we're praying this, this one verse that God will raise up faithful men and women who will be able. They may not be able right now, but they will be able. And I, the people that you saw here, at one time they were not able, but now they are able and they are growing in their ability. And that is God. That, that's what I said. All God is amazing. It's amazing to be a part of. It's amazing to encourage. And it's amazing that you guys are encouraging them as well. And that's the culture that we're here to set. That, yeah, people may not be able, but they will be able. If they'll just stick it out, if they'll live it out, and they'll allow God to do a work in their hearts, they will be able. And so we're, we're here to grow. We're here to equip. We're here to train. We're here to send out. We're here to develop. And that's what it's about. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom perspective. I'm going to give you a warning today. So you might want to go ahead and get the notes on your Uversion app. If you have Uversion, if you don't, it's an amazing app. Youversion.com. Download the app in the events down or down in the more section in the bottom right. There's a more. Go in, press the events, and then save the notes. Go to our community church because there's going to be a lot of information. You know, guys, I'm sorry. Don't fall asleep. I know you can hold about. We can hold about three things, and after three things, it all starts to go to haze. The three little points, and we're done. Well, I got seven today. The men, the women are going to, yeah, the women are going to excel today, but the men. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. I'm going to throw something at you if you fall asleep. So we are also, not only are we in our 21 days of prayer, which we are praying in 2 Timothy 2, 2, but we started a 40 days of transformation. On Wednesdays, we're doing a small group right here. We had 10 tables that were almost all full of, of you guys that came. Did, y'all, did you enjoy that this Sunday, this Wednesday? I thought it was great. It was great seeing you all here, that's for sure. Let me turn my Wi-Fi off. Some reason that he wanted me to share the Wi-Fi password with somebody. But we're in 21 days of prayer. We started our transformation. We're in week two, and that's why there's so, so much information, because today we're talking about your physical, your body, your physical makeup, and it's important spiritually. We started with your spiritual health. All of this affects your spiritual growth, but if you don't get the inside right, See, God wants to prosper you inside because nothing's going to prosper on the outside until you're truly prosperous, you're truly growing, you're truly healed, you're truly set free on the inside. And so we start with spiritual health. We start with understanding that you're on a spiritual journey. We're all on this thing. It's a spiritual journey. But how it affects your body. And we start with the spiritual side and realigning ourselves according to the Word of God because that's what it's all about. He created us. He's got the blueprint for life. He can bring us back to stability, strength. And help us to thrive and help us to go above and beyond to become all he created us to be. But it's going to be according to his word and his way. And so that's what it's all. It's a simple effort of just readjusting. the. If you're talking about your life as a spine, if you go to the chiropractor, you go get a massage. I had one Friday. It was so good. But if you go get a massage or you go to the chiropractor, you, line, get, you get your spine realigned a little bit. You feel so much better. Kind of pops and cracks a little bit. Well, that's that's when we realign ourselves according to the Word of God. And so I'm going to give you a lot of information, but my hope is that you'll just go through, you'll go back to these notes, and this one chapter that we're going to be in, you'll really start to dive in and grasp it and apply it to your life. So I gave you all that to say, here's what we're about to do. We're about to just learn some application. The verse that we're talking about is not on your screen, but it says, Romans 12, 2, it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, this culture. Don't look at what people are talking about in the media, social media, COVID-19, whatever it is. 
Don't be conformed to that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we're here to be transformed. We spend a lot of money, we spend a lot of money each year trying to deal with the stress that's in our life, trying to get rid of the stress that is in our life. Well, real or perceived stress is very dangerous at its core. It, it, it's actually a threat. And when your body feels threatened, things start to go on on the inside. So whether, whether it's physical, whether it's social, whether it's mental, spiritual, or emotional, your body is built and created to respond to that. Stress actually quickens a response from your body. Your blood pressure goes up, your adrenaline starts to kick in, and then there's several physiological effects that take place. Well, that's great. If a truck is coming your way, you want that to happen so that it tells your body, hey, get out of the way, right? That is a very healthy thing. But chronic stress lived out over long periods of time is actually very destructive to your body. Not only that, it's destructive to your mind, your brain, but it's destructive to the health of your body and the strength of your body. So we, when we live under this chronic stress, we don't realize it, but our bodies and our minds slowly start to deteriorate. There's a, a slow fade into this place that we never knew, we never realized where we came from, how we got there. We don't know why we're there because it was just a gradual pace of decline because of the chronic stress that we live in. So we do have an antidote. The Bible gives us an antidote. In fact, there are seven antidotes that I'm going to give you today, and they all come from one chapter. It's a very famous chapter. You'll know this chapter, uh, or you will have heard of this chapter, and I hope that over time you start to learn this chapter, especially through seasons of change like we're going through right now, culturally, nationally, and internationally. So I'm going to talk about the seven sources of stress. Can y'all listen in 1.5 mode? Because I can slow it down, we'll be here a little longer, or I can speed it up, and we'll get out of here faster. Uh, also, if you can get some amens, some hallelujahs, some like preach, brother, you know, stuff like that, you'll wake up, you get a good listener, then I can move along faster, and I'll be like, oh, they've got it. I don't have to sit down on this and spend as much time here because they're really educated and they know. Y'all want to do that? Okay. Let's do that, and we'll, we'll move through this thing really fast. We're talking about worry then. Seven sources of stress in our modern life. One is worry. Worry. 20 years ago, you never worried about where your cell phone was going to be, right? You never worried about, uh, uh, let's say, identity, identity theft, right? No, there was very little technology to steal anybody's identity unless you dropped your wallet and you left it out, you left it out in the parking lot or something like that. That was the only form of identity theft. Somebody go swipe your card and do you something, but or buy something, but that was it. That was it. wasn't much. So there's worry. Number two is hurry. Hurry is a big deal. Why? Because it comes from an increasing pace in our life. Everything must be in nanosecond form. I want it right now. It must be now. I need to get it faster. I tell you what, if the water uh, drops <coughs> too long, there's going to be trouble. I'm going to go to McDonald's. If McDonald's too long, I'm going to go back to Sonic. You know, I mean, it, it, i got to have it right now. Right now, right now, right now. And, and the demands. Everybody expects for you to be able to deliver right now. you got to get it to them right now. And then with the bottlenecking of COVID-19, times have delayed. Demands have increased. And now it's hard to get things that you really want. You're, you're not quite, your psyche is not try, quite figuring out why what happened, what, what you were getting from Amazon Prime for two days is now taking three or four days. This is unheard of. Why in the world? Where are you, Jesus? 
And then so we're free and proud. As our world gets, gets more crowded, tensions start to increase, and so the stress around us. Athens is actually a very rapidly growing rural community. People are moving from larger cities to come here to get away from the urbanization that's taking place in cities. However, it's probably causing urbanization here and crowds around you. Don't, don't go to the lake. Either one, any of the lakes around here is going to be crowded. And you're like, I don't know those people. I've never seen those people before. That's right. Because they come in and they flock during the weekends and you get stressed because they, they don't belong here. You aren't always here either. And then number four is more choices. More choices. It's great to have options. But there is a point when too many options become paralyzing, right? And so, you know, a difference, I spend a lot of time in Honduras, live there, my wife's from there. When we go back there, you can go to the grocery store, and there's 10 options for cereal. You go to the grocery store here, there's 150 options for cereal. You go down that line, that aisle, and you're just locked like... If you didn't write it down, you forgot why you were even there. <laughs> Don't get some spaghetti sauce because there's a thousand different versions of that. And then Amazon comes in and there's 50 different options of the same thing. And there's 50 different vendors that are selling the same thing. And you're so overwhelmed by who you, buy, who you should buy it from and where you should buy it and what version of it you should buy. It's like, man. And what you do is you, you don't buy it. Until 10 o'clock at night when you're tired, you just say, forget it, I'm just going to buy it anyway. <laughs> you wake up the next day, it's on its way. What is on its way? That thing you bought last night when you were tired, you should have gone to sleep. So it, loss of privacy. Now there, there's loyalty programs. You know, you go and you get a card. They want you to give you the phone number, your address, your email address, whatever it is. They, they, they want to join in their loyalty, pro, uh, loyalty program. Why? Because they want to track your purchases. They want to know what it is you're buying. They want to know how often you're buying those things. They want to send you some coupons so you'll come back and use their services. And they also want to send you some coupons of other things that are like those things that hopefully you'll be interested in buying those things that well, get used to buying those so that you'll buy not only the first thing, but you'll buy the second and third thing because they entice you to buy all because of that loyalty program. Lots of privacy. And now there's, and we experience in both children, and probably you have too, there's these pregnancy apps or mother's apps or new parents apps and they trap you, they, they, they're so cute, and they, they, they convince you to watch your baby's progression, even when it's in the mother's belly. That's not your baby, but you know, you want to so connect with your baby, you're watching the progression and the growth of that baby in your belly, and they're, te they're telling you what your baby's going through, what you can expect, and then when birth happens, and then, then they start selling you coupons for diapers and during the age, and then the toys that will be great for their neurological advancement and because of the age that they're in. By then you're locked in, you're sucked in. They got you from diapers to the pins. Yeah. <laughs> they're tracking your life all the way through. You go from Hot Wheels to wheelchairs. And then you're sitting there trying to track your whole life, giving you what you what you they think you want all along the way. They're sucking you in to buy it. Loss of privacy. Pluralism. Pluralism. Meaning the people around you often have very different beliefs, convictions, lifestyles, and cultures, right? There's blending, and so 100 years ago, there was very few different perspectives. In fact, those different perspectives were always in large groups of people. Most people and cultures had very similar perspectives on life and how they would live, how they would raise their families, etc. Well, it's not the same anymore. People around you have very different ideologies. That means that conflict is always nearby any situation. And when there's conflict, there's stress that begins to emerge from that. And this is one of our greatest issues in our culture right now, because nationally, 
and internationally, there's conflict that is literally forming our thought life. The things that are going on are forming how we think and how we live and how we perceive more rapidly in our lifetime, most of our lifetimes, than ever before. Because everything's so intense and there's not one direction from which it's coming. It's coming from every direction. And you're not even allowed to think the way you used to think anymore, according to culture, according to some government entities, according to some people that you pass by in Brookshire's because they're wearing a mask and you're not, whatever the case is, right? You can't be you. And so there's this pluralism that's affecting us and it's causing stress to emerge. And then there's the fear of failure. Nobody needs to explain that one. You know what that one is. It's the what is of life. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this? Or this did happen. It's going to look like just like this if I do that. The, the fears. Well, there's seven antidotes. They're all going to be in this passage, in this, in this chapter. And I'm going to give it to you. And then I'm going to break it down. All right? So Psalms 23, 1 and 6 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know Julio didn't come up with that? Anybody know who Julio is? Yes. I just ate myself. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They don't beat me, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Wow. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, this is a, this is a model for peaceful living right here. If you don't know this chapter, you really need to know this chapter. You need to, you need to get this chapter inside of you. Now, understanding and knowing... What God is doing in the midst of stressors is very important. Now, God is not bringing the stressors upon you. You need to know that. God's not an author of your stress. However, God uses the stressors in your life to grow you towards his purposes for your life. You see the difference? There's a huge difference. God gets blamed for a lot of things that don't belong to him. But he uses those things. What, what, what Satan meant for evil, God purposes for good. You ever heard that scripture? So the things that are going on in your life, and you're causing, they're causing stressors, and maybe you've even blamed God for, they weren't God. But guess what? If you do it his way, he will show you how he can purpose that thing that happened in your life to bring good into your life and into the lives of others. And that's what we're here to do right here. I, I had this thought as I was writing this message. Ellie and I bought a youth, a 15-year-old boat uh, two weeks ago just, just to get out. A, two, a 15 year old just... It was the price range we wanted. We just needed something to get away. Well, when we take the kids there, and they're, they're, they're sitting there fighting and arguing, and, and they're, they're whining and throwing a fit, and we're, we're out in the boat even, and you know, I'm thinking, man, they should be having a good time. We bought this so they could have a good time. We get out to where they're going to gonna swim, and they get out and swim, and they're having the time of their lives. And I'm sitting there thinking, aren't we like that? We're on the way. God has us on the way to the time of our life and in the midst of it because it's not going how we want it to go. Looking how we want it to go. We're growing up kids, upset, probably blaming him, upset because he won't do it the way we want it to do it. And we don't realize that we'll just enjoy the ride. We're on the way to the time of our life and he is purposing everything on the way to it. Yeah, At some point, we got to realize, well, man, 
if I love my kids this much, how much more can my Heavenly Father love me? If, if I do this for my children, how much more will my Heavenly Father do these things for me? If I'm slowly navigating my child's life to keep them from harm and danger, what is it that I would have got myself into if God hadn't helped navigate me out of those situations and into another situation? Yeah, there might have been some pain. I might have sprained an ankle along the way, but I didn't get hit by a truck. <laughs> Complain about the sprained ankle. Forgot there was a truck coming. Anyway, Proverbs 14, 30, the English version says this. Peace of mind makes the body healthy. Who doesn't want a healthy body? Peace of mind. So we need to figure out how to lower the stress in this ever-changing world to see how we can live longer. But how? Here's that same verse in the New Living Translation. A relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. So it sounds like you just need to chill. <laughs> Y'all go home. Bless you. In Jesus' name, have a great attitude. Go be, be rested. No, it, it's all about attitude. It is all about attitude. Every, everything is about our attitude and how we take it on. So these six verses, we're going to tear it apart, and I'm going to show you how to internalize these six verses so when things aren't going your way, that's likely to happen, by the way, there are seven antidotes or seven spiritual habits that if you'll put into place, they will combat the seven stressors that I shared with you earlier because those are a reality in your life. And so, so much more can the Word of God be a reality in your life and help shift the thinking, your mind, and how your soul responds. So let, let's look at this because we're talking about worry was the first issue that we had. And, and it says this, look, sorry, go ahead, look to God to, be, to meet all my needs. What happens? Well, what happens? You think, well... I want what I want and I want it right now. Or I have a need and I want that need right now. Anytime you expect something or someone to meet the needs that only God can meet, you are setting yourself up for destruction. No man or woman will ever meet your needs the way God can meet your needs. No thing, no, no, no technological device will ever meet your need. No vehicle will ever meet your need the way that God can meet your needs. So we look to God to meet all of, of, all of our needs. In the same way, we discussed idols last week. An idol is anything that you try to get life from or love from or give life to or love to as, a, as something that is an idol. If, uh, that, all that love belongs to God. The love that you, you desire, that you need, you're designed to get that from God. The love that you're designed to get is to give back to God. So there's a, there's a give and take that you're designed to only be in that relationship foremost with God. But what happens when you come out of that? Then you're able to love others. You're able to love your wife because of how much you love God. You're able to love your spouse, your, your, your kids because of how much you love God. And the love of God that you have begins to navigate the way that you love others. But when we get that out of place, stressors come up, conflict emerges relationship issues start to happen, and everything starts to get broken down. And husbands and wives, your greatest struggle will always reflect an area of misplaced security that belongs to God. Because you're both looking for security. Men are looking for honor. Women are looking for security. And if that's not through God first, you're going to demand it from one another, and it will never be sufficient. And everywhere it's not sufficient, it's insufficient, and there's going to be brokenness in your marriage. That's free. So you, can, so you can lose your health, you can lose your job, you can lose your money, you can lose your spouse, 
But God will always desire a relationship with you. Psalms 23, 1 said this, The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need nothing. And from nobody. I'm good. So I got a good shepherd who's guiding my life. The Lord is my shepherd. So I stop expecting other people to meet the needs that only God can meet. Romans 8, 32 says this, Since God did not spare even his own son for us, but gave him up for us, won't he also surely give us everything else we need? If God gave up his own son for you, don't you think he can supply all of your other needs? In fact, Scripture tells us that, of course. Of course he will. And he wants to. He desires to. Because no one can meet all of your emotional needs. Can I get a big amen on that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no one can meet all those emotional needs. No one can meet all your physical needs, your spiritual needs, your financial needs. No one can meet all of those needs, but God can meet those needs. God wants to meet those needs. And what is David? King David is the one who wrote Psalms 23 and many other parts of the Bible. The king of Israel of that day. What, what does he say? What does he say? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Thank you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So when you're in that moment and you're like, oh my goodness, so-and-so's not doing this, or this thing's not providing the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord's my, I, I don't need anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't want that from them. It wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be sufficient. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, the first step in all of this is starting to lean back and lean into God. Well, I need to start worshiping Him because I need to know that He's a good shepherd. And Isaiah says this, 30, 15, says, The sovereign Lord says, Only in returning to me and waiting for me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. In quietness, not in fear and anxiety, not in hard work and in planning, those are good things, not in self-motivation and positive mental attitude, but in quietness and confidence will the Lord work out the mess that is in your soul, because it's there, and he will draw you to a place of peace, and strength, not in front of your mouth, <laughs> not trying to protect yourself, but in quietness and confidence. And number two is this, obey God's instructions about rest. Obey God's instructions about rest. Much of, much of our stress in our lives actually comes from being in a hurry. We discuss being in a hurry, in a hurry, guys, do everything. You're always trying to, you have too much to do and you never can catch up. There's always something else that you have to do at the end of the day. You're over, you feel overworked and you feel like you can never catch up. God actually modeled rest on the seventh day of creation. He worked hard and he showed us, let's be diligent for six days, but one day a week you're going to need to rest your body. You're going to need to rest for many purposes. So he, he said, hey, he put that actually in the Big Ten Commandments. He put it with those who say, do not lie. Do not commit adultery. Here's the deal. If you're not going to rest, you might, if you're under a Sabbath, you might as well go commit adultery. Same sin. Same level. Do not put another God before you. But you're not going to go commit adultery, right? So why don't you rest? I want you to see the benefits of finding God in the rest. It gets serious when you start thinking about these other sins that are really serious. 
Well, that's how God sees it when it comes to the Sabbath and rest, because it's there for you. It's there, it's there to help you. It's there to protect you. It's there to guide you. It's there to strengthen you. It's there to develop you. So why would God create us in such a way that we actually need rest? Why would he do such a thing? You know, most Americans, they never slow down. Instead, we continue to labor seven days a week. And instead of coming in and worshiping and serving and receiving ministry from God and then going home to take an amazing, blessed Sunday Sabbath nap, you go home from church and then on, on the one or two times a month that you come to church, and then you, then, you, then you go home and you do the things that you have left over from the week. I just can't get caught up. I can't go to church. I need to go. I got to get caught up for the next week. And no rest comes in. And remember, we talked about chronic stress over long periods of time starts to deteriorate not only your body, but your mind as well. Psalms 23, 2 says, he makes me lie down. He makes me lie. You ever had God make you lie down because you wouldn't trust him enough in the rest to choose to rest? Let me ask you this way. You ever been sick because of a stress-related issue? You just got laid down what you got. He said, hey, heads up. Go ahead and take a Sabbath rest and, hey, do it weekly. But no, you wouldn't do it. So he made you lie down. You ever been in a place where you're so exhausted from the week that you can't even think to process decisions and make wise decisions? And so you just... You just you make more decisions. Because you should have rested. You should have trusted. The Sabbath rest, the Sabbath day, is the most powerful day of your week. You think it's whenever you get up on Monday or Tuesday and you're rocking and rolling, you're just hitting on all cylinders. That is not the most powerful day of the week. The most powerful day of the week is when you lay down to rest and you're strengthened in your rest. You need to know this. Your best depends on your rest. So when you're tired, you just need to say, you know what, I'm not giving my best. Yes. It might be that I'm not resting. If Exodus 34, 21 says this, six days are set aside for work, but the every seventh day you must rest completely, even during your season of plowing and harvest. You must observe a Sabbath day of rest. Even if you're an accountant and it's April or this year July, you still need to take a day off. If you started a new business and you're the owner and operator, you still need to take a day off. If you're working two jobs to support your family, you still need to take a day off. Because when you rest on that day, you're trusting God with the rest. Because yes. you got to the point where I'm at the end of me, so God, I need you to show up. And it's on that day of rest, God can actually do the things that he purposed for you so that he can move you forward in your life on your normal week schedule. You'll get that if you don't understand rest. It all comes from God. So how do, how do I rest? How do I rest on my Sabbath? One, I rest my body. I refocus my spirit. I rest my body. I, I take a good Sunday afternoon nap if I were you. Not, not just while I'm speaking. All right. So I, we had a lunch with a guy one time, and he, I said, yeah, me and Alex, we take a, we're so exhausted normally do two services. We'll start that here in September. So exhausted, and so it's just a lot. And it's not a day of rest for me. It's a day of work for me. I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm up here giving it all my all to you guys. And they said, you rest on Sunday, take a nap on Sunday. I said, yeah, I have the luxury of napping during service. 
this particular guy, Nat Sperry. So there's a lot of singing. He's either praying like, like this, with his eyes closed and bobbing his head, or he's, or he's asleep. I'm pretty sure he's asleep. But what is it? I, 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 I recharge my emotions. I refocus my spirit and I recharge my emotions. And what is it? What, what is a, what is a Sabbath day rest? It's anything that's outside of your normal routine. Get a hobby, get a craft, get a skill, learn something. So if you work with your mind all week, do something with your hands on your Sabbath. Or if you're working with your hands all week, rest your hands and do something with your mind on your Sabbath. But rest your body, recharge, refocus your spirit. Because I can tell you this, you know when your thoughts get gets real jacked up, it's because you're tired. And emotionally, you can't make wise decisions. You're not built that way. And so refocus your spirit. You've got to take every thought captive to the people you want to slap, the people you want to, you know, you want to fire, you want to get rid of, the people you just kind of can't stand to be around. You've got to, Lord Jesus, help me. What does your word say about this individual? Teach me to love them. Help me, Father, to love that person the way you. You've got to refocus your spirit a little bit. You've got to get the word. Recharge. Recharge your emotions. You know what? Uh, Allie laughs at me. I will, on a day of rest, I'll also lay in bed with my daughter and watch Spirit riding free. Anybody know Spirit on Netflix? And I love Lucky. Lucky's the, Lucky's the character, and I, man, she reminds me of my daughter, Naomi. She is, she is riding free in everything that she does. And she's learning to ride a horse, and, and I'm sitting there watching Lucky, and I'm picturing my daughter, and man, I, I'll have tears coming out of my eyes watching a cartoon, and Allie's like rubbing my eyes. Are you crying? Man, it, because I'm not emotionally charged. And so little things start to get you, and you don't even know why you're crying. You ever find yourself, why am I crying? Why are the tears coming out of my eyes? It's because you're not emotionally charged, and you haven't been resting. You haven't been resting. So Sunday, you know, it's a work day for me, so I can't Sabbath. Instead, what I do, I choose to rest on Friday. Now, I'm general contracting this building, and so what would I do on Friday? Because there's still stuff that has to get done. I would start at 12 p.m. on Friday and rest until 12 p.m. on Saturday. And if they didn't get the answers they needed, I'm sorry, you can wait till Monday. What they need to get their answers, their questions answered, so they get the work done, is not as important as me resting in the bottom. You get it? And the things you think are so important that you need to do on that Sabbath day rest, they're not. They're not. You're cheating yourself. You're cheating your family. You're cheating those situations. But maybe it's even the occupation. You're cheating that to, to think that you've got it under control. You don't. You don't. I'm spending too much time. So Jesus never, never, he never said stop Sabbath. In fact, what would he do? He would go in, he would pray hard, he would work hard, he'd minister hard, he would disciple, he'd show his disciples, and then he would pull away and he goes, okay, guys, let's go and rest a little bit. But they're like, hey, it's just getting intense. It's just intense. People will start to come. I know. Let's go. Right? It's so contradictory. You think, oh, they're starting to come. Let's work harder. No. Let's pull away. Let's go spend time with the Father. I heard a story about a guy who was trying to get a hold of his pastor on his day off. And he finally got a hold of him the next day, and he was so upset with him. He said, Pastor, I don't understand it. I needed you really badly, and I couldn't get a hold of you. And he goes, the pastor's out taking a day off. He goes, well, Pastor, the devil makes, never takes a day off. And he said, I know. And if I didn't take a day off, I'd be acting like the devil, too. <laughs> well, some of you might be so mean. You need to take a day off. But the devil, I mean, the devil is not your model. You know that, right? That was not your model. God is your model. So Jesus is your model. We talked about crowds. So number three is I need to recharge my soul with beauty. You know, beauty stirs up. God made the earth in all of its beauty. He made, he made nature in such an amazing way with amazing colors. 
And, and we know that in heaven, there's going to be colors that we've never even seen before. Isn't that amazing? It's beauty. So what, what do you do? Surround yourself with art, with beauty, with nature. Uh, get out and, and enjoy life. Psalm 23, and 2 and 3 says this. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He says, go sit in the deer stand. Amen. 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 <laughs> he says, go get on the golf course. He leaves me beside the lake to go fishing. Beside my boat. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, my boat. So I can get out and enjoy those waters. He leaves me out there. He restores my soul. Because when I'm out in the deer stand, or I'm on the golf course, or I'm out in the lake with my kids and my wife, and they finally realize I'm getting them there to have the time of their lives, my soul starts to get restored a little bit. Or when I'm out there and, and, and I'm fishing, and you know how it is, a bad day of fishing is better than any day at work, right? <laughs> so your soul is getting restored in the process of that. So he restores my soul. Philippians 4 8 says this You'll do your best by feeling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful. And not the ugly. You'll do your best in these moments. You'll you'll do best. You're, the more you, the more social media and media you pay attention to, and you read and you dive into, the more exhausted, the more drained your soul will become, and the more you'll start to look less like who you're created and purpose to be. And it starts to just get into your soul and drain you. So here, I'm going to give you a few daily practices. One, get out get outside for about 15 to 30 minutes. Just sit outside and just look. Watch the wind blow a tree or something. Watch the grass just be. You know, let, let your soul get recharged on a routine, daily basis. Read God's Word or turn on worship the first seven minutes of your day. If you wake up, don't go to social media. Don't go to media. Don't go to any. Get in the Word, turn on the worship song, because the, seven, the first seven minutes of your day are the most impactful, important minutes of your day. They set a precedent, set a foundation for what's going to happen for the rest of your day. You can change your life in the first seven days, seven minutes of your, of your being away. That's a simple practice. Can you be in the Word for seven minutes in a day? Yes, I think you can. Intentionally put beauty around you, art, music, a craft, anything that inspires you. Put some bright colors in your house. Feel the depressed, get rid of the dark colors, open the windows, open the shades, take them off, in fact, and let some light in, let it get on your skin. Start to put some color around you. Number four is this, go to God for guidance. Go to God for guidance. You know, we have this analysis paralysis issue, stress from too many choices. Is killing you. Too many choices. God wants to guide your life. Simple, simple testimony. Allie and I bought a van for her because Nathan, little Nathan, my son, was coming, and so she wanted a minivan. Okay, so we we, we searched, we looked around, we, we test drive mini, and no, no, doesn't feel right, doesn't feel right. This place in Richardson had the two of the same van, the same van, no difference. There was a thousand miles difference, and you know, it was the only difference. Prices were the same. Everything was the same. The 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 the, the um, addition was the same, but we both felt led felt led to buy this one particular van, side by side even in the garage. And I said, I feel drawn. I feel like we should be buying that one. She said, I feel the same way. The Holy Spirit was guiding us to buy that one. 
he sink, it was sinking our hearts on one. He was sinking our spirits, our attention on one. I don't know why. I don't need to know why. I just need to follow the fact that he is showing me the next step. He's highlighting to me what it is he wants me to buy or he wants me to do, how he is guiding me. It doesn't matter what the outcome is. It doesn't matter. So you have many major life decisions that affect your health, your marriage, your finances, and your kids' future. You cannot afford to make snap decisions based on emotional, uneducated purposes, uneducated guesses. You must train yourself to seek God, wait to listen, which is the most difficult thing to do, and then when He guides you, no matter how weird, awkward, or unsensible it seems, you do that next thing, and no matter the outcome, you know that through the process of you making a wise decision based on God's guidance, He is leading you towards His best outcome for your, the purposes of your life. And that is so out of our control. And that is so abstract to how we think and feel and live. But God wants to guide everything in your life. Psalm 23, 3 says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness, and He does it for His name's sake. You know, last week we talked about uh, living as righteous, uh, living righteously. There's a difference between being saved and living, for, living righteously. Well, He leads me as I let Him guide my decisions in whatever I'm going through. He leads me in the paths of righteousness so I'll make great decisions and I'll honor Him because we're here to worship Him, to bless Him. But He also wants to bless us and He wants to lead us in paths of righteousness, but ultimately He's going to bring glory to His name. God doesn't want to lead you into, into brokenness and into uh, burdens and issues and problems because He doesn't glorify His name. If you understand that God has created you to glorify his name, you'll realize, well, if I do it his way, he will lead me in paths of righteousness. If I trust him through the storm and I realize that it is God's plan for me and that he is purposing something great on the other side of this, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. I'm going to make it. It's for his name's sake because he's a good father. And your heavenly father will never deceive you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never do any of those things. And that's hard for us to understand a lot of times. And number five is trust God in the dark valleys. We all lose things in various areas, various seasons, times of our lives. Maybe a spouse, family member. Maybe finances, a job, an opportunity, hope, reputation. Maybe you've lost all of those things at some point in your life. Two things happen in this situation. One response is grief. Grief is very healthy and important for us to process. In fact, it, it's a godly process because Scripture says that God grieves. And if you, you, have, you literally stop growing if you suppress and stuff down things emotionally. You stop growing. Your, your emotional intelligence stops at the age of your life if you don't grieve properly and you stuff down the issues, the things that you've gone through, the pains, the hurts, the wounds, the losses, all of those things, all of the difficulties. You just suppress them and you stuff them away acting like they never even happened and you don't follow through the full process of grief. You are that age even if you're 50 years old. You're 15 
in a 60-year-old body. And you can see it in people's lives as well, can't you? It's starting to make some sense. There's seven processes I decided I'm going to give you these, the stages of grief real quickly. A shock and denial. This just happened. I can't believe it. I, I know I, I, I won't believe it. And you go through pain and guilt. Oh, it hurts. You know, maybe I could have done something about it. I feel guilty. Maybe what was my part? I take all the blame. There's guilt. Then there's anger and bargaining, right? You just get angry about the fact that it happened and you have no control over the situation or the outcome. And then you start to even bargain. God, if you just do this, I'll do this. Or if someone told you to do this, I'll do anything to have this back or do this back or this person back or this whatever the situation is back. I'll do it better, God. I'll. But some people never grow out of anger and bargaining. They just anger. Or maybe they make it to the next part and the depression sets in. Some people never make it out of this. Now they go down the river of depression, they get out on the bank and they camp out on, 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 on hope, but then they get back in the river of depression. But they never fully process everything along the way. And maybe they start to find this upward turn. You know what? It's not all that bad. There's going to be some good. And then the reconstruction and, and work, they start reconstructing and working through things. And some find so much control and safety in the reconstruction phase that they never get out of the reconstruction phase. They're just constantly building in their lives and everything's changing and turning because they have control over that. But it's really pointing to grief that they never dealt with, and they really are never on the line of God being able to put them on purpose and put them on the plane and put them on where he has for them to go and why he's created them according to Ephesians 2.10. Because they're always reconstructing life. Because they have control over that. Then you get to this place of acceptance and hope. You know what? I hated that happening. It was terrible. I accept it, though. And you know what? I know God is going to use this to grow me and give me perspective and give me wisdom and give me understanding. And hopefully, I can help others who have gone through this very same thing in their lives as well. And in that, I find hope. And that's when you start to really come out of the grief. So that's that. The other response, whenever things start happening and there's loss or whatever the case may be, is fear. Fear paralyzes and keeps you from God's best for your life. It controls you during difficult and uncomfortable situations. You ever made a snap decision because you were feeling a little fearful and that situation, that moment, felt a lot like another experience you had in the past? Because you're still stuck to that experience that happened in the past. And you're making decisions on something new in the future that it is not like, but it looks like what happened back then. And so this thing that happened back then is still controlling your life 10, 20, 30 years down the road because you never processed the fear and the control that comes along with it. Psalms 23, 4 says, yeah, yeah, though I walk through the valley of death. No, no, I didn't do that one. <laughs> I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You're with me. Your rod and your staff are, by the way, those are, those are from, for guidance and protection. You protect me and you guide me. Thank you, Lord. They comfort me. I'm feeling really uncomfortable with what I'm going through right now. Maybe you're in the valley of the shadow. Maybe you're in the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe you're in the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe you're in the valley of the shadow of depression. Maybe you're in the valley of the shadow of discouragement. But it's a valley. And it's just a shadow. And when we're young, we're scared of shadows, right? They look really big. 
and our fear builds those shadows up. But there's always a light where there's a shadow. Shadow can't exist without a little bit of light. It's just a shadow. It looks like, but it's not. It's not. There's a light shining. And it's the light that we focus on to let go of the fears, the anxieties, the worries, the stressors, the indifference, the control. Psalms 142.3 says, when I'm ready to give up control, when I'm ready to give up, he knows what I need to do. I'll actually listen when I've gotten to the end of myself. When I've tried it every which way I could possibly do it and manipulate it and try to get my way and it didn't work. Dang it. He knows what I have to do. Control is always fear-based. Anytime I control others or me or my situation, it all comes from fear. Afraid that I might not get what I want. I'm afraid that this might not happen my way. I'm afraid that they might not do. I'm afraid, but try to control. And we all have control issues. I'm Pastor Nathan, and I got control issues. Number six is let God be my defender. Another source of stress is conflict, criticism, attacks. Believe it or not, there are people out there who do not like you. No, it's not. <laughs> people, people, people you work with criticize you, and maybe it's out of jealousy or fear. It could be anyone in your life. And they're always down on you or downing you whenever you, you prosper or you, you find favor or whatever it is. And they're always. But what does that make you want to do? It makes you want to get back at them, right? Your first response is. But when you do, you stoop down to their level. And you let what they have impart into what you got going on. But if you don't, and you forgive, you just rise above the situation. And you let God be your defender. I'm not going to let that control me. Because of pluralism, there are people around you who don't like you. They disagree with you. People who don't like Jesus. There's some people that demand you wear a mask. There's some that can't stand wearing a mask. As a result, criticism just emerges. And as a cause, civilization is losing its civility. People are becoming rude. Becoming hateful. People are saying things behind the screen that they never would have said in person. And now, because they, you can't see who they are behind their mask, they're starting to scream things behind, from behind their mask because they think maybe you won't see and know who they are. They're really brave behind the mask. Get rude. You need to know this, that little people be little people. And when people are belittling others, it's revealing the smallness and the knot that's in their own heart. They're revealing their junk. 
So how do you handle slanderous and rude and hurtful people? Well, you don't. You let God handle it. You just keep on walking and doing. And David, King David was a pro at this. He said in Psalms 23, 5, he said, You prepare a table before me in the presence of anger, hatred, jealous people, my lust, my unwillingness to rest. Yeah, I got a ribeye steak in front of me and you've invited all these people, all my enemies. But then he says, but you grace me with everything that I need to overcome. You empower me with the presence of your Holy Spirit. You anoint my head with oil and you strengthen me. You give me your empowering grace to look them in the face and say, not today, and rise above and to do it your way. Psalm 118, 1 and 2 says, how I love you, Lord. You're my defender. You're my protector. My strong fortress. And I am safe. You protect me like a shield. And you know that David wrote this from a cave. He was on the run declaring, you're my defender. I'm hiding in a cave, but you're my protector. This cave is just a place because you're my strong fortress. And I don't care what's going on in my life or who's coming at me and what anybody says to slander me. I am safe. You protect me like a shield. 1 Peter 4.19 says, So if you are suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right. And trust yourself to the God who made you, for he will never, never fail you. And maybe you're struggling with how do I navigate life like this. I'm telling you, you can still join us during our transformed life, our transformed trial. On Wednesday nights, you can still register. You can still go through this process of spiritual growth, in your spiritual journey, and developing your spiritual health. You can still register. Wednesday nights, 6.30 to 8 p.m. That's what we're here to do, to help every one of you along, not only on the weekends, but on Wednesday nights for the next five weeks now, to grow in your spiritual journey so you know how to handle life and its circumstances. Number seven is expect God to finish what he starts in me. You got a fear of the future. You think, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Well, he does. And if he started it, he will finish it. If he has begun a good work in you, he will see it through, if you will. If you'll not listen to those fears and not give up along the way and not give in to the talk and not, not be distracted by the noise, and if you'll not let social media and media control you and start to conform you, but if you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind, I promise you it doesn't matter what it looks like in the future because here's what God says about this. And here's what God says about you. Oh, you're in the river of depression? No worries. Because God has something for you on the banks if you'll just hang out there and do it with some people around you. If you invite some people into the picture, don't worry. God's got some people to walk out with you. Psalm 23, 6 says, surely, here's the premise, and here's the promise to all the premise. We've been talking about the premise. The premise is here's what you do, and here's what God does. We all want the promises of God, right? 
Nobody celebrates the premise. Hey, if I just do what I say, what well, we do what God's word says that I should do. Nobody says those things. I'm just waiting on the promises of God. Well, are you doing what he asked you to do? I don't know when that promise is going to be fulfilled when you start doing your part. But surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely. And I will be, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Who doesn't want that? Surely, I want goodness. Man, when I, when I walk, goodness just falls out around me. When I'm in the midst of a situation, mercy just everywhere. All of my days. Well, I got to do some heart changing. I got to start leaning in for his guidance. I got to start being distracted from the world. I've got to start loving others where they are and helping them become all God created them to be. Because surely, Matthew 11, 28, 30 says this. Jesus says, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. He says the burden is light. And when I'm equally yoked with Christ, we move together in the same direction. I'm not asking him to go my direction. I'm moving with Christ as the Holy Spirit guides and leads me, and I surrender my will to his will, and I give up control of my life so that he can lead it. And I become a celebration unto the Lord. I walk the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Because he wants to show the world through you that he is a good father, that he blesses and he builds up, he encourages, he edifies, he lifts, he changes life. He wants to use you and I for those things. He wants to do it through you. We're all about equipping you. We're all about equipping you for life, equipping you for whatever God has for you. And maybe you haven't signed up, but right after this at 1045, we have our equip track. We're helping you to discover who you are, completely who you are in Christ, why he, why he created you, your gifts, your personality type, how that fits into the kingdom of God. And maybe you're like, well, how do I even, I don't even know Jesus. Well, that's the first step. Jesus is not religious. Talking to a friend of mine who's going through a divorce right now. I'm like, bro, so and so, so and so, such and such, such and such. Okay? Maybe you just try some counseling. Because, well, she's religious. Well, maybe that's the problem. I see religious parts. Like, what is he saying? Jesus wants relationship, he wants you to come to him. He wants you to have communion with him. He wants you to hand over the burdens of life. He wants you to walk this thing out with him. He wants to relate with you and, and hear your issues and your problems and struggles. You can't do enough to please him. But you can yield into relationship. And you'll become pleasing. He wants to walk this thing out with you. So if you're in that place, you're like, is that what it's really about? Yeah, that's what it's really about. It's not about religion, it's about relationship. And I want to introduce you to the real Jesus. The real Jesus just says, come. Let's walk this thing out together. I don't need you to perform. 
I can do it through you. And if that's you, just simply say, Lord, I give my life to you. I confess that I need Jesus. I need you. I repent for my sins. I repent for going astray. I believe that you were dead and buried for three days in the grave and hung on the cross for my sins, and you were raised again so that I may have life. It's that simple. The next step is difficult. From there, it's just, I'm just going to obey what you say, Lord. I'm going to obey what you say. You don't have to know all of Scripture. You don't have to get it all right. You just got to lean into the relationship and start listening to what he's saying, and you're not just going to do that thing. I'm going to check it with the Word of God. Is that right? Okay. I'm aligning my life with the Word of God. And He will continually grow you, strengthen you, and move you on a path of righteousness for His name's sake from there. Is that good? Can I pray for you? Sorry I went a little bit long. You guys weren't as good listeners as I thought you were going to be. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that... Lord, you renew us day by day, and we don't have to work for you, but you do all the work in front of us as we yield our bodies and our lives to you. Father, I pray for an extra measure of grace over every person in this room, that you empower them to move beyond the hang-ups, the boundaries, the issues, the circumstances of life, to bring them out of the darkness that they may be in because they've been watching the shadow rather than looking at the light. Father, I pray that you strengthen every individual in this place so that they may move along the spiritual journey and grow in spiritual health for your name's sake so that you restore their soul, that you lead them along paths of green pastures, along still waters, and that you help them to relieve the stress and the stressors and when those things come upon them in their life or their family's life, they know how to properly and spiritually handle them with maturity and not live emotionally led lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Somebody say